Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Deuteronomy and uh, the fifth book of the Bible, chapter number 11. Deuteronomy chapter number 11. And uh, we're going to jump right in this morning uh, and just get right to the message. I'm glad to see everyone here. Glad that some of you are on the mend and uh, praise the Lord for that. Do remember to pray for those that are uh, going through difficult times, that are grieving the loss of loved ones and that uh, are, are just uh, coping with just maybe difficult situations in their homes and their, uh, in their lives. And so let's be mindful to pray for one another. Deuteronomy chapter 11, I'm beginning in verse number 7. And we're kind of jumping into the middle of Moses here giving instruction to uh, Israel before they, he dies and they will go into the promised land. And, and so he's going and rehearsing some things. And we're going to look at this also in just a little bit here. Uh, but what God's done for them, how he came to them, how he sent Moses to them, how he did miracles to win their freedom, to bring them out of Egypt and set all of that in motion. And so we're uh, kind of in the middle of these exhortations that Moses is giving here in verse 7 when he says, But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. Uh, Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess it. And that ye may prolong your days in the land, which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed, a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from whence she came out, where thou sowedest thy seed and thou waterest it and thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. Uh, The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it, and from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. And he shut up heaven, and there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit. Lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up of these my words in your heart and in your soul. And bind them for a sign upon your hands. That they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them to your children speaking of them. When thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. That your days may be multiplied in the days of your children in the land, which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Notice verse number 22 in particular. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all all these nations from before you. And ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness of Lebanon, from the river, to the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea, shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon. As he has said unto you, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse, if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods which ye have not known. I want to speak this morning on the thought, Possessing God's Promises Through Faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the time to come together. Lord, I pray that you would 
that you would help us to be focused on your word and what it has for us this morning. Lord, may we respond to you accordingly. Lord, guide my thoughts. Help me to say that only which, that, which needs to be said. And Lord, may we uh, again be seeking you in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, and amen. Now, as we look here and Moses goes through this, he's contrasting Egypt, of course, and the promised land. And he's given them, in contrast, Egypt is this land. The land that I'm giving you is not like that land. That land is dry. That land, there's, there's no regular rain. Uh, they have to rely upon the river uh, to, to irrigate crops and to, to give that kind of fertile plain. Uh, but outside of that, it's just the wasteland. It's just desert. It's, uh, it's really not of any, uh, of any value or use because it, it has no ability to produce. That's not the land that I've given you. I've given you a land that I take care of. I've given you a land that's well watered. I give you, I'm giving you a land where your crops will flourish and where your cattle will flourish and where you, uh, can, you can do well and that you can make much out of your life. And God has laid this out as a conditional promise. We, uh, we understand this morning that the Bible is filled with promises. Many of you have a, uh, a promise book that is just nothing but the scriptures that are pulled out that are specific promises. It's even categorized to where it'll tell you what the promise is related to. Uh, and and you, you use that as a tool to find things that for encouragement when you have a need. Uh, sometimes we give those out on a special day. Uh, and it's just uh, verses plucked out that are categorized and arranged in a way that help us to find uh, God's promises for different circumstances. The Bible is full of promises of God. And as we look at it this morning and understand that promises of God uh, are, are not without condition. Uh, God puts conditions on the promise here. He, he has great things that he has in store for them and that he wants for them. Uh, but he is, he is giving and he is fulfilling promises. As we look here this morning, God is sending Moses back or has sent Moses back from Egypt to fulfill a promise that he made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15 and verses 13 and 14 when he said, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I will, will I judge. And afterward they shall come out with great substance. And if you know the story here and you know how God sent Moses back and Moses went uh, before Pharaoh and uh, the, the, the elders of the people and then he went before Pharaoh and then the plagues came and and God honored that promise. And if you know the story, you know that, that the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians for 430 years. Uh, what God said would take place in Genesis chapter 15 took place. And, and he said, whenever I'm done with you there, when your time is there, you're going to grow into a great people there. And then whenever I come, I'm going to bring judgment upon that nation for enslaving you. And then whenever you come out, you're going to come out with great substance or great wealth. And we know that whenever they came out, that, uh, that in that last plague, that the, the Egyptians basically were giving their valuables to them to carry out with them, that they left with great uh, substance and with, uh, with great wealth and as they, they head out. And so we see here that the people are hearing God's word from Moses and their journey uh, from hearing faith to believing faith and receiving it and all that God has for them becomes complicated. So you look here and you see what Moses is saying to them. He's saying this is what uh, God promised Abraham. God sent me here and now we're going to leave and then we're going to go to this place that God has promised us. And so they, you have to understand that when Moses comes to them, he is presenting God to a people that have not heard from God in over 400 years. There has not been a relationship with God like Abraham had for 400 years. And so at that point in their history, in their enslavement, they have been brutalized by the Egyptians and they come and God uh, sends Moses to say, hey, I'm sending you. Who do I say sent me? Tell them that I am sent you. Tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob sent you. Well, by this time, 400 years later, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are just stories that have been passed down. You put that in context with, 
with, with history just uh, in the history of North America. If you go back 400 years, you're, you're going back essentially to the pilgrims. You're going back to, to a time where God had not been heard from in their hearts and in their minds for the entire time uh, that the Puritans came to North American continent unto this day. So if we had heard nothing from God and lived in that darkness for all this time and now all of a sudden someone comes on the scene and says, God sent me, who's God? Well, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that your forefathers left their homeland and came here to serve. And what's he want us to do? He's going to do what? And you see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a vast disconnect in their spiritual life and their relationship with God. So Moses begins to share. Moses demonstrates. God uh, takes what Moses has in his hand and he, he has them do some miracles that proves that he is valid, that validate that he is God's messenger. And then he has to deal with the Egyptians. So he has to go to the Egyptians and he has to deal with them. And then God sends the plagues. So what's going on in the mind of the, the average Israeli here? They're, they're here and they're thinking, okay, this man comes. He says that God sent him. He truly has done some magnificent things. And now the devastation of the plagues begin to set in. Okay, maybe there's something to this. Oh, we're going to leave? Okay, let's go. Now there's this obstacle of the sea before us and the mountains behind us and the narrow passageway and the Egyptian army is bearing down because Pharaoh changed his mind again and, uh, and the only thing that's holding them back is God in a pillar of fire. Then he parts the sea and they go across. And after they get across, then the, the Egyptians are allowed to follow them into the middle of the dry uh, seabed. And as they get into the seabed, then God releases the water and they're overwhelmed by the water and they're all drowned. God destroys all of the wealth of Egypt. God destroys all of the uh, productivity of Egypt. And God destroys all the power of Egypt. All in one fell swoop. And God's people are in the, the wilderness. Now mind you, God never intended for their journey to last for 40 years. He intended for their journey to last a couple of weeks. But because of their unbelief. Now it's easy for us to sit back and say, how could you see all that and not believe? But remember, there's been nothing for 400 years. And so they're constantly battling, this is what I know God has said, but this is what I see. And there's a great contrast, and I don't think that the contrast that we have today is any different. There is the reality of what we see versus the promise that God has made that, that defies logic. And when we talk about the promises of God and that he's given them and they're on this journey, they are on a journey. And, and Moses is, is taking them on this journey and it is a journey from hearing to faith to believe and to receive the promises that God has for them. But what they see complicates things at every turn. What they are experiencing in their day-to-day -day life is complicating things for them. So what is it that he's promised? Well... God promised them salvation and there's a lot of parallels to us in our spiritual life today. What God came and sent Moses was, I'm going to save you from the Egyptians. I'm going to save you from slavery. I'm going to save you uh, from the, the reality of this hopeless and helpless state uh, that you're in uh, while you're in Egypt. And Egypt is a picture of sin in the world to us. And we, uh, we see that and God promised salvation to us. And salvation is a gift from God, but without faith, we can't receive the gift that God's made available. What is salvation? It's the promise of forgiveness of sin, the promise of being made the child of God, being born into his family by a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit of God. But unless I have faith to believe it, I'll never receive that promise. And so God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to save you from, uh, from this, uh, from, and what that relates to to us is I, I'm seeing you and the hopelessness and the helplessness of your sin, the sin that enslaves and controls you, and I'm going to save you from that. God promised them victory over the inhabitants of the land. Now we know, especially when we get into the book of Joshua, that the inhabitants of the land essentially represent uh, for us our our carnality and our own sinful habits. The sins in our life that we will not let go of. They were supposed to go and conquer all the enemy. But after a while, they're tired of fighting. 
And God, eventually God says, okay, that's enough. You've got what you've got. And the people that you should have destroyed with my help that you didn't, they're going to be a constant thorn in your side. And when you stray from me, I'm going to use them to execute judgment upon you, to bring you back to me. And then I'll judge them for, per, for persecuting you. And you see that all through the book of Judges. And it's just a vicious cycle. But God's intent was to bring them out. But whenever they came face to face with the obstacles of the people of the land, they ran into a problem. We're going to get to that in a moment. God promised them an abundant life. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. What God wanted for them was to go straight from the desert of Egypt and slavery to freedom and to a land that's flowing with milk and honey where things were abundant, where there was plenty of rain, where there was plenty of, uh, of, of foliage and vegetation to support them and their livestock and, uh, and to give them this new place. We see as Moses is going through here and telling them this, that he's demonstrating and rehearsing God, demonstrating his power. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20 and 21, he says that thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. He's saying, listen, God has done so much that we've actually seen to prove who he is. How can we not follow him? And so God demonstrates his power along the way in chapter 11 uh, and verses 3 and 4. He's going through it again in his miracles and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land and what he did unto the army of Egypt and to their horses and to their chariots and how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you and how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day. What do we see? God is demonstrating his power in their life. And as God demonstrates his power in their life, then after he's demonstrated his power and they followed him, he begins to demonstrate his provision for them. See, God takes them out, but he provides for them all along the way. And when it was necessary for that provision to be miraculous, it was miraculous. Whether it was whether it was uh, purifying water that was poisoned or whether it was giving water from a rock or whether it was bringing uh, manna from heaven. Whatever their need was, God met the need. He provided for his children as they followed him in faith. And verse 5 it says, And what he did unto you into the wilderness until you came into this place, until they come to the promised land. What he did unto you, what he did for you in the wilderness. He led you and he guided you and he protected you. And he sustained you and nourished you. But they still rebelled. They still sinned. And whenever they did, God rebuked their sin. Notice in verse number 6. And what he did unto Dathan and to Abiram and the sons of Eliab and the sons of Reuben. How the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. And their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of Israel. So what we see is God has promised to bring them out. God has promised to give them passage. God has promised to give them a new land. God has promised to give them victory over the inhabitants of the land. And to be their God and, to be, and for them to be his people. But what do they do? They see that power demonstrated. They enjoy God's provision, but yet they still complain because it doesn't meet their expectation. They don't like how it's unfolding. They don't like Moses. They don't like something Moses said or did. They don't, uh, they don't like that it's a harsh climate. It's even more harsh than the climate that they escaped from in Egypt to get there. And it's always hard to tear away from sinful lifestyles and to come into a, into a walk with God. There's always great resistance by the world and the flesh. But God rebukes their sin. But God saved them. And God led them. And God provided for them. And God promised them. Listen, we are called to live lives of faith. Amen. To believe what God has said and to follow him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 puts it simply, we walk by faith and not by sight. And as a Christian, we're tempted constantly to walk by sight because what we see is big. What we see is intimidating. What we see, we want to understand. We want to be able to make sense of it. Listen, salvation doesn't make sense. God's love for us after we betrayed him and we've been so brutal to him has, has, it doesn't make sense. 
How God can provide for, for us whenever we have never lived up to what God would have us to be. And how he's so long-suffering with us. And how he's so patient with us. And how he's so merciful to us in our sin. Doesn't make sense. There are a lot of things that we look at and that we see and we just say, I, I, God, I, or, I'll do it, God, when I understand it. But that's not faith. Yeah. See, I'm supposed to walk by faith. God told them, go here, do this. But when they got there and saw what was there, they were so afraid of it and intimidated by it that they couldn't step forward. James chapter 22 and verse 20 says that faith without works is dead. That I can claim to have faith, but until that faith is put to the test and I step out and demonstrate it, then it's really no faith at all. It's just an idea. What I want to address this morning is us as Christians going from a place where we understand this is God's promise. This is the requirement of faith that's, re that's necessary to receive and to fulfill that promise. And I, I want to get away from the disconnect of being per dissuaded by that which I see and persuaded by that which he says. I, I don't want to miss out on the best that God has for me because of what I see. I want to enjoy the best of what God has because I believe him. Listen, there's some things about faith in our lives. And I, I'll just, a few principles here before we kind of move into the main part of the message. First thing that I would say is this, faith requires a problem that is unsolvable. If I don't face a problem that is unsolvable, I have no need of faith. Salvation is an unsolvable problem. The, the, the condition of my sin with a dead spirit uh, without God is an unsolvable problem. But God solved it. But until I exercise faith, I can't receive it. Faith is required to fix it and to achieve victory over an unsolvable problem. If I can solve the problem on my own, then no faith in God is required. Now, that's the way that we tend to operate too, by the way. Our natural default setting is, I'll take care of my problem and God, if I can't figure it out, I'll let you know. What God's looking for us, for us to come to him first and say, God, this problem is insurmountable. This problem has no human solution. This problem is not, it is not humanly possible to solve or achieve, uh, to accomplish what you've put in my heart to do or what you promised me. I'm exercising my faith in you. I'm trusting you. Faith requires a problem that's unsolvable. Not only that, but faith trusts fully upon someone else's ability and commitment. When I rise step out in faith, I'm realizing that I have no capacity to solve this on my own. Therefore, I am trusting completely and fully in God's ability and his commitment to solve my problem. There are a lot of times where someone else has the ability, but that doesn't mean they have the commitment to see it through. There are a lot of times you could come in and say, hey, I've got this issue, I've got this problem, and so-and-so can come in and solve this problem for me. But if they're not committed to do it, the problem will go unsolved. Faith in God is claiming the promises of God and realizing that I'm trusting fully in God's, not only his ability to save me, but his willingness to save me. His commitment to save me, his commitment to honor his word, his commitment to lead and guide my life. Third thing that I would say is that faith requires that I place myself fully into God's hands. Till I'm willing to say, God, there's nothing that I can do. I trust you. I believe that you're going to see it through. Now I place myself in your hand. I give you control. I'm, I'm turning this loose, God. It's yours. Fourth thing that I would say is that faith must be tested to be revealed. If I'm not willing to be tested... If my faith can't be tested, then I have no faith. Faith is just one of those things that until it's actually necessary, it's not reality. See, we can hypotheticalize a lot of things in our mind, and we tend to do that. Well, if this happened, then I'm going to do this. If I'm in this situation, this is how I'll respond. If someone ever said that to me, this is how I would react. If I ever had to face this question, this, was, this is what my answer is going to be. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do, to think things through. But what I think 
and what actually comes to fruition will never truly be known until it's put to the test. There are a lot of people that think, man, if somebody ever does this to me, then this is how I'm going to stand up to them. Only to cower down in the face of a greater threat. You know, if, if uh, Pedro over here uh, was going to go out and really tempt fate and uh, getting into a tiff over here with Brother Chris. He can talk all he wants to about uh, how he's not going to take anything like that from Brother Chris. If Brother Chris ever gives him a problem like that, he's just going to pound him down and turn him into mincemeat. But let him get out in the back alley and let him come around the corner and Brother Chris be standing there. It's a different story. I've never seen Pedro run, but I think I'd see Pedro run in that instance. Why? Because his eyes defy his knowledge. See, faith is just an idea until it's tested. Will I put my faith, will I, will I stand for God and come to him when my faith is tested? Now I want you to hold your place here and let's go back to Numbers chapter 13 and see Israel as God has now in Numbers 13 has brought them across. He's brought them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. They've made their way very quickly across the desert and they're coming to the base of the promised land. And if, if, if they'll just trust God, then they're going to possess immediately the blessing and the empowerment of God that God has for them. But there's a problem. The problem is, is that they don't have the faith to trust God. And in Numbers chapter 13 and verse uh, 25, we see this, and they return from searching the land after 40 days. So they come, uh, they come into the promised land and, and they're sent out uh, for 40 days to go and spy out the land, to go and see what it's like. Is it everything that God said it would be? Is it what God has promised? And uh, what, is, what are the obstacles? And what are we going to have to do to achieve this? And they went, in verse 26, and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel and to the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back word, brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Not only did they go and see, but they brought back the evidence. They brought back things that they never could have imagined. It was more than they dreamed of. Nevertheless, the people, of the, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people. In other words, Caleb put, the, put a stop to the momentum, to the conversation, to the idea of the people. To, to still them means to, to thwart their momentum and their direction. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Praise God. That was Caleb and Joshua. But it wasn't the other ten. And so we read on, but when the men came up with him, said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse number 23, remember he said, Then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. All they see is the might of the giants and the might of these people uh, that have control of this land. And, and they're, uh, they just look at them and say, they're stronger than we are, but they've not factored God into the equation. God sent them. God promised them this land. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants and the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. What's the problem? The problem is, is that they are not listening to what God said. They're trusting what they see. 
there's a disconnect between the execution of their faith and the carrying out of their faith and the receiving of God's power and blessing. We see some things that, uh, that uh, Caleb it, that states to them that show us some things about faith that are applicable to us today in this. Uh, where we see uh, that he comes out in verse number 30 and he says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. Let us go up at once. What's he stating here? He's saying this, faith is personal. Caleb couldn't decide for them. They had to decide for themselves. Joshua couldn't decide for them. They had to decide for themselves. They had to come to a place where they made a decision. And the fact of the matter is, is that in the spiritual life, when it comes to the matters of faith, when it comes to matters of service to God, nobody can decide to serve, to, can decide to serve God for you. No one can come into your heart and into your life and say, this is how you're going to live and this is what you're going to believe and this is what you're going to do. We can teach you, but you have to choose. God led them, but they had to choose. God promised them, but they had to choose. God said, I can overcome everything that's before you, but they had to choose to believe him. And they chose not to. Everyone must choose. Listen, faith is personal. And whenever someone enacts that faith, then faith inspires action. The pastor, but Caleb and Joshua failed. It didn't inspire action. No, it did. It is inspired rebellion. See, whenever you step out and you live a life of faith and God blesses that faith and honors that faith, you're going to provoke a reaction from the people in your life. They're either going to be inspired to rise to the occasion and follow the God that you follow or they're going to rebel against him. But it's still a response. And we look and we consider what God is stating, what the, 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 the case that Caleb is making. He's saying, listen, we can do this because God is with us. God promised this land. God said we'd be the victory. God said he would drive them out. Let's go up right now. Don't even wait. Let's just go. Because it's amazing. And listen, the Christian life should be amazing. The Christian life should be inspiring. The Christian life should be, should be something that causes us to be willing to leave everything else behind and to just pursue that relationship with God like we've never pursued it before. But pastor, why don't we? Because sometimes all we can see are the giants and the obstacles. We know what God's promised, but we're focused on what we see. Oh, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I can't give this, or I can't go there, or I can't participate in this. Listen, if God said go, go. If God said do, do. If God said, I, I promised you that I want you to have an abundant life. And if you'll love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and you'll keep my commands diligently, then I will. If, then. Will I focus on my God? Or will I focus on my problem? Exercising faith can inspire others. And while faith is personal, not only is it personal, but faith will, will possess the promise. Notice what he says here. He says, as he still the people, let us go up at once and possess it. Let's go up and let's take charge of this. Let's go and possess it. Faith possesses the promise. Accept God's promise. Numbers chapter 14 and verses uh, 7 through 9. Notice it says, And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it, uh, give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, and their defense is departed for them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Listen, for a Christian, it's to believe God and his word and what God is leading you to do through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as you walk with him. And when God makes his path forward clear, rise up and seize the moment regardless of what obstacles you see before you. Faith will possess the promise by accepting that promise and by acting upon that promise. Faith will give power to prevail. He says, for we are able to overcome it. He doesn't mean that we're able to go out here in our own strength. He means this is what God promised. If we'll do what God said, God is with us and we're able. Listen, and we're, we're, you're able. 
That sin in your life that so easily besets you, you're able to overcome it with God. That, that thing that, uh, that's preventing you from surrendering your life fully to Him, that, that fear of, uh, of, of what you might miss out on or how hard it may be or how the bills will get paid or how this. Listen, when God puts something in your heart to do, obey Him. Step out in faith. And so we see in our text this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 11 some principles that will help us to possess the promises of God. Just four primary principles here that can help us to, to, to own, to possess the promises that God has given us. First of all, obey God's command in faith. Just be obedient. Trust and obey. We sing the song. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What is that? What the, the, the problem is trusting. It's, it's easy to obey if I trust. I don't obey because I don't trust. If I trust God, I, I want to obey him. What do we see here? We see that God keeps his commands faithfully. And in Deuteronomy 11 and verses 13 and 14, we see, and it, sh and it shall come to pass... If ye shall hearken diligently unto my commands, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, and thou mayest gather thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, I promised you. I've already demonstrated to you. I sent you Moses. I, I plagued Egypt ten times. I brought you out with great wealth. When you balked, I protected you in a pillar of fire from the army. I parted the sea, and I didn't only did I part the sea, but I dried the land. And you came across on dry land. And when you got across, the enemy pursued you and they were released because whenever God uh, is not holding them back, the enemy is always going to be in pursuit. He let the waters go and they were drowned and destroyed. And he's met their needs along the way. God at this point is saying, what else do I have to do to prove that I'm God? What else do I have to do to earn your trust if you'll obey me, if you'll trust me? We simply lack a willingness to trust God. Keep God's commands faithfully. If I want God's promises this morning, I must keep his commands faithfully. No, pastor, but I don't understand. I don't have to understand. I just have to trust. Yeah. Amen. Here's the way that we operate. And I, uh, by the way, I, I, think it's, I think that as parents we make mistakes when our children get to a certain age if we don't explain to them why we do what we do and teach them the principles behind it. But there is certainly a time in their lives age appropriately whenever you just do it because I said so. And that doesn't expire while they're under our authority when it comes down to it. But I do them a disservice if I live from the time of their birth to the time of them going out on their own. And the only answer that I ever have is because God said so, I have failed them. But at the end of the day, because I said so still prevails while they're under our authority. So what God is saying here and what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is just simply this. There comes a point in time where I want to try and I, where we tried to explain to our children while they were still in our house uh, about how, uh, why we did what we did and why we want, believe what we believe and those types of things. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter whether they understood or not. They just had to trust us. And sometimes we want to argue. We want to argue, you know, we'll, we'll come out and we'll say, hey, do, I need you to do this. Well, I don't understand why, so I'm not going to do it. You get older children uh, and, and you deal with that problem more. Well, I need you to take care of this. I need you to do it this way. I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to do it this way. And sometimes you have time to explain, sometimes you don't. But why is there even an argument going on? The argument goes on because... The person that's being told what needs to be done believes that they know better than the person that told them to do it. They believe that they know more and that they have more experience and more wisdom than in a, this scenario a parent has that's telling them how and why they want things done. Listen, uh, it's good to explain why, but if trust is there, there's, 
the, the need to be explained to is not about whether or not I'm going to do it. It's about I want to understand so I can grow to where you've grown to. And what we say to God essentially is this. God puts in our heart to do something, to go somewhere, to give something, to be a part of something, to uh, get involved with a particular ministry, whatever it may be. Uh, and we look at things and we say, okay, God, you want me to do this, but I don't understand how that's going to work. I don't understand how you're going to provide, and I don't understand uh, how you're going to work in my life or what you're going to accomplish. Whenever you reveal to me how, when, and why, then I'll obey. And what God is looking for is just simple trust. God is looking for me to say, I don't understand and I know what I see, but what I see and what you're telling me to do, don't reconcile. God, you want me to go there? That's not possible. God, you want me to overcome that? That's not possible. God, you want me? That's not possible, God. What God wants is not for us to tell him how impossible something is. What God wants is for us to trust him. And we look here and we want, to, we want to possess the promises of God. But I'm just telling you this morning, until we put faith in God, we'll never possess them. We'll never have fully what God has for us until we live a life of faith. Keep God's commandments faithfully. Keep His commands diligently. What do you mean diligently? I mean don't cut corners. We are famous for cutting corners. I'm all for doing, I'm all for working smarter, not harder. But sometimes hard work is the only way to get something done. You know, when it comes down to it, and you go around all these construction sites around and, uh, and you see all the bulldozers and the track hose and all of those things uh, getting things done and they're moving massive amounts of dirt. But the end of the, at the end of the job, there's still a man with a shovel. Some things just have to be done the hard way. Don't cut corners. We've taken corner cutting to a level that is encroached into our spiritual life and our relationship with God. And we cut corners with, with what we do for God. Whenever, if you've been in the military, uh, you understand. And if you've been in, uh, in, in units that are high profile and that are under watchful eyes, you understand, I think, even more. But attention to detail matters. To this day, if I get a new shirt, I find myself inspecting it for Irish pennants. That's what we called the Marine Corps, any little thread that was hanging off of a seam. It drives me insane. I, I put on a shirt the other day. I bought it a couple months ago. I'd never worn it. I forgot about it. And I was, was going through something and I found it. I said, no, I can, that shirt's good for this occasion. I'm going to wear that shirt. Uh, and then I got to the church and I looked down at the cuff and I had to get fingernail clippers out and start trimming the, the, little, the little strings off around my cuff because it would have driven me nuts all day long. Why? It's attention to detail. My, uh, my grandfather, my mom's dad, uh, he, would, he would always, he would get on to my grandmother about, uh, she liked some nicer things and, uh, and, and bigger things. And when he died, he didn't have a lot of money, but one of the first things that she did with a little bit of money that he left was go and buy herself a brand new car. All they had ever had was old beaters because he just bought them and fixed them up. It was a hobby for him. He loved it. He did it to make extra money. And at any given time, there might have been five or six cars in his driveway or scattered around his backyard. And he, I mean, he stripped them all the way down. He painted them. He fixed the engines. He, he got them tuned up. And he, it just was what he did in the evenings. That's how he spent his time. And, and, and she'd be wanting this or be wanting that. And, uh, and, and he'd always go around and say, well, she's, uh, she's got a, uh, she's got a, a champagne diet on a coca-cola budget he'd also say if you take care of the pennies then the dollars will take care of themselves what's he saying he's saying pay attention to the details little things matter but it was isaiah or jeremiah that said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine it's the things that are below the surface often that do the most damage keep god's commands diligently don't take shortcuts. There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. There are no shortcuts in our walk with God. There are no shortcuts in your prayer life. There's no shortcuts in your, in your learning the truths of God's word. There's no shortcuts in implementing them into our daily lives and their principles guiding us and leading us. And if we take those shortcuts, then we are not diligently keeping the word of God and we will come unraveled. Keep them diligently. I used to hate, we love getting off duty. When I was in the military, we'd love it. 
But we always knew that there were going to be games that were going to be played. And if, the, if, 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 it was a, if there was a, a, a noon arrival, we at least knew that the games could not extend past about 11 o'clock. So we're, the, the way that it worked, if, if you, uh, you come in on, say, if you were assuming your post on Monday, you would come in Monday about 6 in the morning for a formation, uh, and then you were on duty, and the other section was going off duty, which meant that once the commanding officer and the staff NCOs were satisfied that everything was the way it should be, then they would let you be off, and you would be gone for a day and a half or two and a half days or however long your liberty was before you had to rotate back on uh, to your job. But we already knew that games were going to be played. I mean, the first sergeant was going to come through, and he was going to find something that wasn't to his liking. Why? Because he didn't want to let us go at 8 o'clock. He wanted to keep us there until 9 or 10 o'clock. And if he was mad at somebody, uh, then he may want to keep you there to 1 or 2 o'clock. And so if the president was coming in at 12 the, to Camp David, then we knew that he can't keep us past 11. No matter what things look like, by then he's got to let us go. Because we had to be, if you were off, you had to be off post before, uh, before the helicopters came in. And so it was all with these games. So what you, you just learned, you learn how to, you learn what they're looking for. You learn with which, whichever officer or staff NCO was on duty or had duty that night. You know whichever one of them uh, is, is. You would think, too, that they would be easy on that stuff because it was always spick and span. Uh, and, and they couldn't go home until we did. But they just liked playing games. And so we're trying to get off and we're working hard and they're pulling, they're pulling the, the vending machine out from the wall and they're flipping the sofa upside down and they're, uh, they're, they're taking the cushion up and sticking their hand way down in the crevices to see if they can find a crumb and uh, just anything that they can find to make your life miserable. What they're really trying to do is teach us attention to detail. Because it's the little things in important situations that get people killed. It's the little things. It's the little overlooked things that didn't seem important whenever there was no pressure on that will cause your faith to unravel whenever the pressure's on. Pay attention to detail. God's command is if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments. Then he tells us to love him. Isn't it amazing? God says, hey, you, 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 want, you want my blessing? You want my power? You want me to make a difference in your life? Follow my commands, but love me. Because if you love me, my commands are not grievous. If you love me, my commands are not a burden. If you love me, they're an expression of love. And we look and we consider that principle, we see that we're to love God uh, in faith. Where he says unto him, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart. And with all your soul. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, in John, in John's gospel, in chapter number 14, and uh, verse number 23, he said, And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You want God to keep his promise? Put your faith in him. Have enough faith to love him. Trust him. Pay attention to the little things. Love God with all your heart. In other words, what he's really saying here is, love me like I love you. Learn to love like God loves. Say, so, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. Let him love you and you'll learn. We love him because he first loved us. Sometimes we never learn to love God because we're too proud or we're too stubborn or we love our sin too much to allow God to love us. So, Pastor, why would I not allow God to love me? Because genuine, true love brings into our lives what is necessary, not what we want. We in this day and age think that love means just doing for a loved one what they want, giving them what they think they want, giving them what they need, giving them support even whenever they're wrong and even whenever they're, uh, whenever they're defying uh, logic or truth or God's word. Uh, that's not love. Love speaks truth. Amen. Love gets in the way and prevents those that we love from going down hazardous paths. Loves will intervene. Love, uh, well, and what God is saying is, listen, love like I love. Love me like I've loved you. Love God with all your heart. Demonstrate your love for God. Love must be demonstrated. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While I was yet in my sin, he died for me. He didn't wait for me to turn around. He didn't wait for me to clean up. He didn't wait for me to turn over a new leaf. He came even with me in my sin and said, Whether you accept my gift or not, I'm going to provide it. Whether you receive me, whether you obey me, whether you love me, I'm going to love you. God said, love me with all your heart and understand that that faith must be demonstrated. James put it this way again in chapter 2 and verse 20, that faith without works is dead. My faith without action are just words that are hollow and empty. Love God in faith. Thirdly, consider that he says to walk in God's ways by faith. Walk in God's ways. He says we have to do things his way. If you, love, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain. In verse 22, if, For if ye shall diligently keep these commandments, which I command you, to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to cleave unto him. Will I walk in his ways this morning? Will I choose to walk in the path of the ways of God by faith? How do I do that, Pastor? I don't even know how to begin to do that. Let him change you. Let him become the focus. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's he saying? He says there in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, allow God to transform you. You can't change yourself. I can't change me. Oh, I can turn over a new leaf and I can change for a while. I can, I can discipline myself and I can form some new habits, but they're only going to last for so long before I'm going to revert back to an old way. How do I change for good? Let God change who you are. Let the word of God, let the spirit of God transform you. Walk in his ways. Allow God to transform you. Not only that, but walk in agreement with God. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says that how can two walk together except they be agreed? If I don't come into agreement with God and who God is and what God is and his holiness and his righteousness and his power and his character. If I don't come into agreement, I can't walk with him. How can I come into agreement? Submit your body a living sacrifice and let him transform you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Philippi and put it this way, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Spend so much time with him that you begin to think like he thinks. Spend so much time with him that you begin to finish his sentences like you do that of your spouse. Spend so much time with him that you can look at the clock and know where your spouse is. If you've been married a long time in here this morning, you understand what I'm talking about. You, you know, I mentioned my grandfather earlier, my, uh, my grandmother knew whatever time it was, he was home. Whether he came in and said hello or not, she knew he was home uh, within, a, within a very short window. And she knew that whenever she opened the door and said supper's ready, that it was so much time before he came in. Matter of fact, the day that he died, she didn't even open the door to look at him. He was laying in the backyard, already gone to heaven with a rake in his hand. She already knew he had come home from work. And she knew when she opened the door and she called his name and he didn't come within a short amount of time that he wasn't, that, he, that, that something was bad wrong. And she just called Brother Ed and said, I need you to come over. They called the paramedics before they even left. And by the time they got there, he was already gone. Just that fast. But she knew. Why? Because they were of the same mind. Because they had lived together for so long. And some of you have been married a long time. We've been married a long time. Uh, it's amazing how often we just start, we'll, we'll spontaneously start to say the same thing at the same time. And we weren't even talking about the subject. We were just, for whatever reason, we were thinking about the same thing at the same moment. It happens on a pretty regular basis. It's really kind of creepy. Why? Because we have the same mind. See, our problem this morning is that we don't spend enough time with God to have the mind of Christ. We want him to be around us, but we don't want him to be with us. We want him to be available, but we don't want to be following him. We want him to be lurking around in case of emergency. 
but we don't want to make him preeminent in our lives. If I want God's power, if I want God's blessing, if I want to, to receive God's promises in my life and to live the abundant Christian life, I must obey his commands in faith and I must love him in faith and I must walk in all his ways realizing that I can't walk in his ways on my own. That I need him just as much to help me walk in his ways as I needed him to be saved. And then lastly, cleave unto God in faith. Cleave unto him in faith. Notice in verse 22 again, For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before ye, and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. What do I do? I cleave to him in faith. When, when trouble comes, don't run out. Hang on. See, they're, they're going across the desert and they're moving across and all of a sudden Moses says, okay, you 12 guys, 40 days, go and spy out the land, come back and give a report. And they come back and they're terrified, 10 of them, of what they saw. They're inspired and they're in awe of how awesome it is, but they're terrified of the obstacles. Only two. By the way, they're the only two that ever saw it. They're the only two that ever received the, the, the reward. They're the only two that only the only two that ever received the promise that God made them, that saw God work, that saw God defeat their enemies, that saw God give the victory. Only two. The two that had the faith to say, God said go, let's go. But what about? Doesn't matter. But did you see? Yeah, I saw them. Did you see how big they were? Yeah, I saw how big they were. Did, did you see how high that mountain was? Yeah, I saw. Did you see how deep the valley was? Yeah, I saw. How are we going to cross it? We'll figure that out when we get there. How, how we, it doesn't matter. God said. God said. Because God said. We'll go, listen, whenever trouble comes. Listen, if you step out and you endeavor today to begin living a life of faith, if you begin to put your trust in God, to be diligent in the way that you seek Him, expect that trouble will come. The promised land of God did not come without hindrance, without obstacle. And they were made strong and their faith grew because of the obstacles that they faced. And as long as they were diligent to carry out the will and the command of God and to walk in his ways, they walked in victory. And when they got sidetracked with what they saw, they succumbed to defeat. And when they got their focus back on God, they again achieved victory. And when they got distracted, they again, uh, again suffered in defeat. Doesn't that sound a lot like the Christian life today? How do I have victory, Pastor? Cleave to him in faith. When trouble comes, don't worry about how big the obstacle is. Just believe that God's bigger. Trust him. Hang on. Believe what God said, not what you see. I need to get my eyes off what I see and get my heart on what God said. God said it. I can trust it. I can believe it. Cleave unto God in faith. May I say this morning as we close that God's promises are ours. They're ours. The Bible's filled with them. We have books back in the shelf over here in this, this, this room off to the left of the auditorium, uh, to my left hand over here, uh, that, that are just, uh, that, that are just uh, 50 to 150 pages of nothing but the, the promises of God and their verses plucked out of their place and compiled together and organized by, uh, by salvation or by prayer or by, uh, by the needing comfort or by uh, needing this or by needing that so that they're really easy to find really quickly no matter where they're at in the Bible. But it's just the Bible verse pulled out in its pure form and, and placed there and arranged in a way that it's easy to access. Listen, God's word is full of promises for the believer. Amen. But as believers, we're content to live without those promises being fulfilled. Because we're so terrified by what we see, we're so distracted by what we see that we can't believe Him. And we don't trust Him. Trust Him. God's promises are ours. But God's promises require faith. Abraham received God's promise because he went. Daniel 
was preserved in a lion's den because he prayed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked with Jesus in the midst of the fire because they wouldn't bow. They trusted. They believed. God's promises require faith. So, Pastor, I don't know if I have that much faith. Well, one last thought this morning. Doesn't take a lot. Because God does a lot with a little. And in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, the disciples have been out and they're casting out devils and they come to one that they can't get rid of. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Why could we not cast them out? Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. If I had enough faith to match just the very smallest of seeds, mountains could be moved. How many mountains do you have in your life that are preventing you from experiencing God's best? How many giants do you face? that prevents you from experiencing what God has for you. No matter whether it be disease or whether it be financial problem or whether it be a broken heart or whether it be recovering from, from being mistreated in some scenario or some environment, what's keeping you from giving your very best to God? Because whatever it is, is keeping you from allowing God to give his very best to you. Have faith in him. Don't worry about what you see. Just trust him. If God said it, believe it and do it diligently and love him. And great and precious promises will be opened unto you.